You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Great to have you with us this morning. I'm Robert Carrillo, and we're here at Metro Vision Studio A, and uh, we are continuing in our studies of the Holy Spirit. We've been doing a series all year uh, looking at topics that are connected to help us understand the Holy Spirit. And we're now in the middle of March, and so we've had quite a few sermons and lessons, and yet there's still a whole lot more to learn. So it's exciting times and uh, especially, I think, you know, for, for many of us, if you know, in our church, we we don't have that background. We've never really studied much about the Spirit. And so we're learning a whole lot here. And it's exciting. So today, uh, the, the lesson is what the Spirit says to the church. And of course, that book comes out of the book of Revelation. Um, that, that's a direct quote from the book of Revelation. And we're going to jump right on in. I'm going to go to uh, Revelation chapter 1. And um, the book of Revelation, or as it is called in Greek, Apocalipsis, which is also called in Spanish, Apocalipsis. But, uh, <clears throat> and it starts out really just telling us what it is right from the beginning. And we're going to dive into the message. But let me just kind of read this as, a, as an introduction to our message, because this is what we're studying about, right? In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. I mean, I, I, I love this because <clears throat> it's such a clear introduction. It's such a, here, here's what's happening. Here's what it's about. Here's what's going on. It tells us this is a revelation from Jesus to his church. So if you're listening this morning, you're probably part of his church, right? Which God gave to him to show his servants the things that are going to happen and what needs to be happening, what needs to, to take place in our lives and in the life of the church. And it says that he made it known by sending an angel who spoke to his servant John, also known as the Apostle John, John who wrote the Gospel of John, John who wrote the letters of John, and John who wrote and recorded the book of Revelation. Now, <clears throat> this was an academic class. I'd be talking a little bit more about the authorship and all that because because there is some debate about whether John the Apostle is John the Elder, but eh, we're not going to get into that. But it is the revelation that we have, that, that, that John wrote down about Jesus, from Jesus about us as Christians and about how we live our Christian life. And I love it. He says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. That's me right now. So I'm blessed. And blessed are the one, those who hear it. That's you right now. And take to heart what is written in it. And that's the, that's the goal of every sermon. That's the goal of the sermon this morning. Is that you and I take it to heart. Right, we take it to heart. We really listen. <clears throat> we open up our hearts, and we really try to learn from this. 
And he says, because the time is near, okay? So this is stuff that's coming up, right? Let me tell you a little bit about Revelation, okay? First of all, it's Revelation, not Revelations. It's personal pet peeve, but everybody always says, the book of Revelations. There's only one Revelation. One Revelation to the to, to the elder uh, Apostle John, right? It was written probably in the mid-90s, not the 1990s, but the 90s, the very first 90s. Church was probably about 60 years old. It's the last inspired book of the New Testament. Um, it, it could have been written earlier. Some would argue that it was written in the 60s during the persecution of Nero. But this is probably more likely later in the 90s when there was a kingdom or an empire-wide persecution of Christians. Last book inspired in the Holy by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. The only book of prophecy. Um, well, let me say this. Other books claim to be inspired later. You're gonna, you'll hear about all these others, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, all these different books that, that claim to be inspired. But this was the last one that actually was inspired. Uh, it's the only book of prophecy that talks about the future. And <clears throat> it is written in a very special form, uh, apocalyptic literature, which is very symbolic and filled with lots of mysteries. It's the book that, that honestly, it's probably the hardest book to understand in the New Testament. Um, and, and, and it has the most room for interpretation and misinterpretation. It's the book that people love to quote. It's the book that movies love to be made out of this book because there's wiggle room and there's a lot, a lot, a lot of misunderstanding. We're not going into any of that stuff. Not today. Maybe another day we'll do a, a, a an in-depth study on the book of Revelation, all that it means, uh, which is fascinating. But uh, we don't have time for that today. But Revelation simply means to uncover or to reveal, right? To show something. And that's what John received, a revelation from the Lord. And John, as I already said, was the 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 author, and he was on a little island. <clears throat> you know, they had tried to kill John. Uh, historical tradition is that they threw him in a pot of boiling oil, and he survived. Every one of the apostles was murdered for their faith. Every one of them, including John, except he survived his, and they banished him to the island of Patmos. Uh, it's a little tiny island. I don't know if you can see very well on the screen, but it's a little tiny island that's between Greece and Turkey. It's off the coast of Greece. Um, I got to go there uh, and, and explore the island and go to the, the cave where where John was. It's a beautiful little island. I mean, the, the Mediterranean in this part of the world is just absolutely stunning and beautiful. And he was uh, banished on this island. He had previously been in Ephesus. They took him, put him on the island. Uh, this is a picture of the cave that it's believed he stayed. And the funny thing, <clears throat> you know, I was taking pictures of the cave and literally on the wall, there was a sign that said, John slept here, which I think is where you see all those <clears throat> cartoons and comments when they'll say so-and-so slept here. Well, John supposedly really did stay in this cave. It's been, you know, the, the, the tradition has been, this is where he received the revelation. This is where God showed him. The angel of the Lord showed him. Uh, it was during the time, most likely, of Domitian's persecution, which was empire-wide. Uh, the qu classic quote is, it bathed his empire in the blood of Christians. And the the the, the persecution was pretty intense. And um, uh, 
and 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 he also uh, instituted or take it to a whole nother level the 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 whole cult of emperor worship. Right, Domitian was the first emperor to demand that he be worshipped while he was still alive. I mean, previously they worshipped emperors who were dead. Now he's saying that they need to worship him while he's alive. And of course, Christians aren't going to do that. That made them a target. And always in society, there's always a scapegoat. And at this time, it was the disciples. It was the Christians. The church became scapegoats in the empire. Um, And so it was a very challenging time. And whenever you're in a challenging time, you either diminish in your faith, diminish in your convictions, diminish, in other words, backslide or shrink back or lower your level of involvement, or you grow, you know, tough times tend to either make you stronger or weaker, right? They don't let you just be. You either become stronger in a tough time or weaker. We're going through a very tough time right now. Our world is going through a tough time. And some Christians are getting stronger while others are getting weaker. And and that's what happens. And prayerfully, if you're listening to this, you're one who wants to be stronger or Maybe you're going to hear this message and realize I'm one of the ones getting weaker. I need to change that. And I want to encourage you to, to be to be one of the ones who's growing and getting stronger. And there are many, and you can sense it. You can feel it in the region. Uh, you know, last Sunday we had our agape feast. There's just a buzz in there. And there's not just the food. I mean, the food's good. You know, if I do say so myself, the food was good. But the fellowship was even better. And the... And the and the buzz in the fellowship, the joy in the fellowship. And so something's happening. Something spiritual is happening, even in the midst of all the challenges. And that's the way it is with God. That's the way it is with God. But there's always first a time of testing, a time of being challenged. And usually at some point we realize you know, that something's happening and I'm shrinking back. I'm slipping away. I'm floating away from Jesus or I'm floating away from the church or I'm not as connected as I used to be. Sometimes it happens suddenly. Sometimes it happens very slowly. So slow you don't even notice it until one day you wake up and you realize, I'm not even excited about my Bible. I'm not excited about the church. I'm not. So, so revelation is a call to the church. It's God speaking to the church, right? To to basically tighten up, get strong, right? So it's the letter to, it's uh, uh, the, the, the way Revelation is organized is the introduction, chapter one, and then chapter two and chapter three are the letters to the churches. And then after that is the prophecies of what's to come. Another day, another sermon, the prophecies. What we're looking at today is what the Spirit says to the churches. Because these churches, there was... These are, there's seven churches, and there was a lot more than seven churches during this time. So these seven churches, uh, most, you know, many scholars would argue they're symbolic representations of the church in general. Some would say at different times in the church's life. Some would say at the different churches around the world. But basically, it's not just a letter to those seven churches, although it was written to those seven churches. It's really a letter to all of us. It's a letter to all Christians, and especially to disciples going through difficult times. That's us. 
This is a letter for us. So there's the letter to the church in Ephesus, the letter to the church in Smyrna, the letter to the church in Pergamum, the letter to the church in Thyatira, the letter to the church in Sardis, the letter to the church in Philadelphia, the letter to the church in Laodicea. Yes, there was a Philadelphia in Turkey at that time, or Asia Minor, um, and the city of Philadelphia in the United States was named after that, of course. But these are cities all in Asia Minor. You can see there on the picture, four of them along the coast, three of them are inland. Uh, I had the blessing of being able to travel and visit all of them. And 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 you learn a lot about Revelation. You learn a lot about the comments he made from it, which another day, I, I really want to do a study of the book of Revelation. I think it's a, it's a very inspiring. It's very encouraging. But what one of the themes that really stands out about this, and we're looking at basically Revelation 2 and 3, is this statement that he keeps saying again and again and again and again. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, I just said that four times. Book of Revelation is it eight times. And there's numerous times where the Bible, where the book of Revelation calls us to listen or to hear what is being said, to pay attention. So this is really important stuff here. And and, and so the statement is, whoever has ears, so if you're listening, you got ears, then you got to listen carefully here to what the Spirit says. So we have these three, we have these seven churches and seven letters. I don't have time to go through all of them. That's, that's two or three sermons, but I, I do want to hit a few of them. We're going to hit a few of them because I think what they have to say to us is really, really important for all of us, right? So the first one up was Ephesus. Ephesus was a huge city, major city. Um, I, I got to take these pictures when I was there. Beautiful city. If you ever have a chance to go to Ephesus, go. It's just, it's gorgeous. It's incredible. That picture on the left, that's multi-stories. Uh, that's the library in Ephesus. You know, and all that's left, of course, is ruins. It's not a modern day city. It's, it was abandoned long ago. Uh, the picture in the middle is the goddess Nike, or as we would say here in the United States, Nike. Right, and you can see the little swish in her hand. That's where the swish comes from. She's the goddess of victory. That big street was the main street of of Ephesus, going through the town. I mean, how crazy is that, right? We're literally walking down the main street that you know that hundreds and hundreds and maybe even thousands of Christians walked on. The Apostle Paul was there. John was there. Mary was there. I mean, it was it was it's quite a city. Um, I love this picture. I took this picture. Uh, I booked, opened up my Bible to the book of Ephesus, and I'm in the theater of Ephesus. Remember where they were ch shouting about Artemis and, and all this? And so I took that picture there. But anyways, so this is what he says to the, to the church in Ephesus. He gives them this warning. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You know, uh, there, there's a whole lot here, obviously, right? And a very, very important message for us. You know, everybody, when they become a Christian, they're very excited. They're very in love. It's like 
somebody falling in love and getting married. But as we all know, as time goes by, love can grow cold. Love can grow flat. Love can dissipate. It can diminish. And and in all relationships, the love has to be fostered and taken care of and 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 nurtured in order to keep growing. And and it absolutely can. I mean, I feel more in love with Michelle than I ever have in my whole life. And I was totally in love when I asked her to marry me, but I'm more in love with her now. And and I have relationships and friendships where our love is deeper than ever, but that's because we've taken care of it. That's because we've always uh, removed any stones that get in our way, any sins against each other. We forgive each other. We hash out. We resolve things. We make sure that there's nothing between us, and we share hearts, and, and through the years, our love has grown stronger, stronger. But it's easy for that not to happen, and especially when you're going through difficult times. And... And so the, 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 the word given to the church in Ephesus, this great church, this huge church, this capital church, you forsaken your first love. You have forgotten the love you had at the beginning and you've let it go. That's a strong warning. That's a strong, well, actually that part is not even the warning. That part is just the fact, facing the fact. And I think it's a fact that all Christians have to face sometimes is, is how in love with God am I? I mean, if the greatest commandments are love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love each other, how is my love doing? And that's an important question. Am I in love with God? Am I in love with his, his kingdom, his church, his people? Am I in love with my brothers and sisters? Do I love them? Am I practicing and living a life of love? And, it, it, you know, it, it comes very natural and easy at the beginning, but it has to grow, as I said before. And so the first thing <clears throat> that we're looking at, this is what the Spirit said to the church in Ephesus, is you have forsaken your first love. This is what the Spirit said to the Christians in Ephesus. So we need to hear this. Have you forsaken your first love? Have you lost your love? And, of course, there's a warning with that. To the church in Sardis, it says, he says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and I will know at what time I would, and excuse me, and you will know at what time I will come to you. You know, each one of these states of fact challenges us to repent. And then gives us a warning of what's going to happen if we don't repent, right? So the first thing he, he tells the church in Sardis, this is Sardis, excuse me. He says, look, I know your deeds. The church in Sardis at one point in history, they were cranking. They were doing awesome. They were doing a lot for the Lord. And he says, you have a reputation of being alive, 
Their reputation was they were a cranking church, a cranking ministry. They were devoted. They were radical for God. They were growing. They were doing all these things. But but you are, present tense, dead. You're not doing it now. You're not doing it now. And it's very easy as Christians to kind of rely on the reputation we built. Well, back in the day... I was doing this, 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 and this, and I led Bible talks, and I helped all kinds of people come, and I did this and this and that and this and that. And a lot of us, especially the older Christians, we can fall into this trap that the majority or the greatest deeds we did for the Lord were in history, the glory days. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Our glory is supposed to be ever increasing. We're supposed to be growing stronger and deeper in our faith, right? We're supposed to be doing not more necessarily. I don't mean like we got to go out and do more things, but we should be more and we should be more devoted and more in love and more committed and more faithful. And whatever stage of life we are, it should be increasing. They were living off a dead reputation, a reputation that had died. And they didn't realize it. They didn't realize. You know, the bottom line is your Christianity is who you are now, not who you were 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And so he tells them, and here's what the Spirit says to them. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Okay, whatever little faith you have left, strengthen it. Whatever little love you've got left, strengthen it. Whatever devotion you've got left, strengthen that devotion. But wake up, though. And waking up isn't just, isn't just okay, go back and do a bunch of stuff. It's realize what's happening. Be aware that God is with us. God is watching. God is trying to encourage and strengthen us. God is trying to do wonderful things today, just as he was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago in our life in our families. I think it's frightening how many people disconnect practical life from their faith. They 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 have marriage problems. Disciples even in the church have marriage problems, but they have not submitted that to their faith. They have not submitted that to the to God. They don't put spirituality in their marriage and their marriage stinks and they don't know why. And then you find out that married couples are getting divorced in the church. And everybody's like, oh no, what's wrong with the church? Nothing's wrong with the church. It's what's wrong with these people that are in the church that aren't praying together, aren't humbling themselves, aren't confessing their sins, aren't doing the things that God commanded them. They were asleep as Christians. And he says, wake up. You've got to pay attention to what's going on. Or 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 singles, single brothers falling into to, to impurity and, and and just becoming slaves to it. Returning to slavery that they were in before they were baptized. And not realizing this is a spiritual battle. All of these things in life are spiritual. And if we apply spiritual solutions. And our faith into these challenges. God can rescue us. God can free us. God can empower us. God can bless us. God can can do incredible things. But there's there's this weird thing where people are separating practical life. They people don't the world doesn't understand why 
all these all these problems that we're having in society is happening at the same time that we are totally pulling the Bible out of society, taking God out of everything, and growing farther and farther away from church and God and anything spiritual. And all these problems are increasing. Anxiety and stress and all these things. Of course they are. Because we're farther and farther from God. And so the point is, wake up. And strengthen what you have before it dies. He says, for I have found your deeds unfinished. You know, God began a good work in you. He's not done yet. You have begun a good work for the Lord. You're not done yet. All of us need to keep going and we need to, we need to wake up and see this. And that's what the Spirit said to the church in Sardis, to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Whoa. Did you catch that? Did you hear that? I mean, I know we all know this scripture. <laughs> And I know this scripture is kind of intense. Why would God say this? Why would this revelation be given? Because God loves us. And he doesn't want us to be lukewarm. Lukewarm is a terrible thing. So I went to Laodicea. And Laodicea has hot springs there. Like hot water coming right out of the ground. These 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 um, uh, pools of hot water that come out of the ground and they're hot and they're full of minerals and they're really good for you. You can sit in them. It's like a picture of a sauna, like an outdoor sauna. I mean, they're still there. You can go now, right now. You can go to Laodicea and hang out in the pools. And then, but they also have this this beautiful crystal clear blue water that comes down from the mountains. And it's ice cold. So that whole thing of, you know, jumping in a hot sauna or hot water and then jumping in. The, they did that way back then. And they had these cold pools and the hot pools. And, and it was it was awesome. But he says, but you guys are lukewarm. And this is what he's telling the church. This is what he's telling them. You're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor, you're, nor are you cold. And, you know, I mean, if you, if you want to clean something, you want hot water. It's got a lot of value. If you're cold, you want to jump in a hot pool. If you're thirsty, you want some nice ice-cold water, right? And you want to go for a swim in some nice, cool water on a hot day, right? But who wants a, a lukewarm pool? Who wants lukewarm water? It's not good for either of those things. And that's his point, is that you're neither hot nor are you cold. You're lukewarm. And I think sometimes... This is where we really got to be honest with ourselves. And, and it's hard because most of the time, lukewarm people don't think they're lukewarm. Most of the time, lukewarm people think they're fine. I'm good. I'm totally fine. And God was watching. And he said, look, I know your deeds. I know where you're, God knows where we're at. We can fool each other. We can fool the people in our Bible talk. We can fool people at church. But you cannot fool God. 
He knows. He knows if in your heart you're lukewarm or not. I mean, the truth is, there's a lot of signs when someone is lukewarm. There's no joy. There's no zeal. There's no excitement. There's, there's, they miss whatever. They only go to what they have to go to. They only get involved in what they have to be involved in. There's a lot of signs of lukewarmness. We know. And if we're just honest with ourselves, we know if we're being lukewarm. And the warning is very strong. He says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I'm not going to keep this. Not lukewarm people. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's one of the harsh things in the Bible. But again, because God loves us and he knows that being lukewarm doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't do you any good spiritually. It doesn't do your family any good. In fact, the truth is being lukewarm makes it worse for everybody. How many children in our church grew up could stand the church because their parents were hypocritical? And they were hypocritical because they were lukewarm. They preached one thing and lived another way. How many families everybody thought was going great and they fell apart? The marriage fell apart or the parent-child relationship fell apart. And I guarantee you, it wasn't because they were hot for God or they were cold for God. It was because they were lukewarm for God. It's because they weren't going all the way in their faith. And, and, and so it does nobody any good. It makes children frustrated and exasperated. It makes marriages frustrated and just not anything like what they should be. It makes life frustrating. I mean, to me, the saddest thing in the world is going to be to be a lukewarm Christian and on Judgment Day, Jesus say, away from me, I never knew you. It means you didn't do a lot of the stuff, the joys of sin, you denied yourself, and you're not going to heaven. What? I mean, it's, it's the worst of both paths. Be all the way. Be all the way. I know the, you know, the traditional statement is... is Go all the way or not at all. But God would never say not at all. He'd just say, go all the way. Repent and get yourself going. Get yourself plugged in. Get yourself fired up for the Lord. Now to Smyrna. And this is the last one. We don't have time to go through all of them. But but I love this one because there's no warning here. There's no criticism. He says, to the angel of the Lord, to the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. I love this. He had, he had nothing negative to say about them other than just hang in there and when you're tested, because you're going to soon be tested, be faithful even to the point of death. That's that's what the Spirit said to Smyrna. Be faithful. Be full of faith even to the point of death. Even if it makes you suffer. Even if it makes your life really hard. Even if it becomes unbearable. Bear it. Hang in there. Hang on. You know, we are we are in a time right now where where the church is reviving, where Metro is beginning to revive. 
For that to happen, we've got to be faithful. We've got to be full of faith and believe that even all the challenges we've been through, and Metro's been through a lot of challenges, and whoever you are, wherever you are listening to this message, maybe you're not part of Metro, but I'm sure you've been through your challenges, and I'm sure you've been through your difficulties. And what the Spirit says to you is, hang in there, be faithful. And faithful means full of faith. It doesn't mean doesn't mean like, don't fall away. You know, hang on there. When when I was in Mexico, the city buses would pack and I didn't have a car, so we'd take the bus all the time, the bus or the subway. And sometimes it'd be so packed and there would be people hanging on to the bus and, and you're just trying not to fall off, basically. And I think sometimes people live their Christian life that way, just hanging on, trying not to fall off. That's no way to live your Christian life. Life sh- as a Christian just Go all the way. Go big. I'm not saying or go home. I'm just saying go big. Go all the way. Put your whole heart into this. And step out on faith. Test your faith. Test God, he says. And see if he will not show you his love, right? And and just give yourself fully to the Lord. And watch what happens. I remember I, I read this little story one time. This woman went to a, 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 her counselor, her, her, uh, her therapist. And she said... She said, my husband is horrible. He's the worst husband. I want to make him suffer. I want to make him feel pain. I want to leave him. And and I want him to suffer loneliness. And so the therapist said, okay, here, I've got a plan for you. For the next 30 days, be the most wonderful wife that you can be. Serve him, love him, give to him. And then on the 31st day, tell him you're leaving him. And then he'll really suffer after he's tasted how good how good of a wife you are. And she said, okay, I like that plan. So she comes back to the therapist a month later and he says, how'd it go? And she said, you know, it was amazing. He said, did you leave your husband? No. In those 30 days, he turned into the most incredible husband. I couldn't believe it. Obviously the issue was not just him. It was her too. And how everything changes when we give our full hearts into something. And that's that's all he's telling Smyrna. You know, he's got no criticism for them, but he says, look, you're going to get tested. You're going to get challenged. Be more faithful. Be more devoted in these situations. What the Spirit says to their church. It's got an incredible list of rewards. He tells the church in Ephesus, to the one who is victorious, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. You remember the tree of life? Last time we saw the tree of life was in the book of Genesis. And this is what Adam and Eve lost. We get it back. Those who remain faithful, who are victorious. Remember I showed you guys a picture of, of the God of victory, Nike or Nike, right? So he uses that word because the, the, he knows, he knows that that's a word they're very familiar with because of the whole idea of victory. Smyrna, I will give you I will I will give you life as your victor's crown. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. He says, look, you will live forever. Whatever you go through, even if you die, you will live forever. And that's something we don't talk nearly enough about. And we don't even realize, you know, that death is probably the hardest thing to deal with in life, in our lives. It's probably the most devastating thing that happens in anyone's life. When somebody we care about, somebody we love dies. And what he says is, look, you got nothing to fear. 
because the second death will not touch you. The first death is a physical death. The second death is the spiritual death, the lake of fire. It just won't touch you. You and I, we're going to live forever because we are God's children and we remain faithful and faithful even unto death. That's pretty, that's way bigger than we have time to even really think about and focus on. To the church in Sardis, Sardis, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. You know, remember when you, in Revelation talks about all the, the saints being dressed in white robes. He says, I will never blot out the name of the person from the book of life. Their name will be in the book of life. On the judgment day, the book's going to be open. The names are going to be read. And every single person's going to be listening for their name. And they will know who they are. And, and God says, I will make sure your name is in there but will acknowledge the name before my father and his angels. Jesus says, I will make sure your name's there. And I will be the one that says, yes, you are mine. This one is mine. I mean, how awesome is that going to be on judgment day when we hear that? And it is going to happen. And you hear Jesus say, she's mine. He's mine. That's my disciple. So they come with me. And then the church in Laodicea to the one who is victorious, I will give you the right to sit with me on my throne. How cool is that? You get to sit next to Jesus on his throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus invites us into that little intimate circle of Jesus, the, the, the Lord, the Son of God, and the Father and the Holy Spirit. We're invited into that. How amazing is that? How cool is that? So what the Spirit says to the church and this is what we got to hear for us, Metro Los Angeles, California, the Metro region, the Metro Church of the Los Angeles International Church of Christ. Do not forget your first love. Don't do it. Don't do it. And if you have already, go back and remember. And he says, repent and do the things you did at first. When we first fell in love with God, Man, we ate up the Bible. We prayed like a fiend. We cried out to God. We we had great quiet. We figured out how to have a quiet time, and we had great quiet times. We memorized scriptures. We fasted. Yeah, we fasted. We were repenting left and right. We were sharing our faith. We were inviting people over and reaching out and taking people out for coffee and having people over our houses for, for food. And we were practicing hospitality. Just go back and do the things you did at first. And you will see it stoke your fire again. You will see it revive your love, fan into flame what God has given you. He tells us, wake up and strengthen what remains encourage yourself find some good books for i got a whole list of books for for us to read i'll i'll put them in the bulletin or read uh, update the reading list encourage each other strengthen one another get connected if you say i don't have any connection well find somebody who's faithless go to go to the church on sunday and find somebody who looks fired up and who's singing and looks smiling and joyful say man i need some time with you get yourself strong in the Lord. Strengthen what remains. Be fired up. Do not be lukewarm. Be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm. Don't be neutral. 
There's, there's, there's no, there's nothing neutral about Jesus. Jesus is a force to be reckoned with. The kingdom of God is powerfully advancing and only it's actually literally says violent men as I said, that means people who have action will take a hold of it. Take a hold of this. Find something to read about, something to pray about, something to, to preach about. Get involved, serve, give generously. Don't be lukewarm. Be generous with your time, with your talents. Be willing to lead. Some of us have incredible leadership ability and we're not using it. We give it to the world, but we don't give it to God. Preach. You know the Bible. You know so much about the Bible. And people need to hear. And you say, well, people don't want to hear about the Bible. Then show them love. Let your life be a sermon of love. Share your faith. I mean, literally share your faith. Talk about why you're faithful. Talk about your faith in God. Share your relationship with God with others. Don't be just inward focused. Be outward focused. Practice being fired up until you get there, until your heart is stirred and moved. And and I tell you what, and you say, oh, I don't know how to get myself hot or cold. I'm just stuck in the middle. Ask God. He will help you. Didn't he not promise? I will take out your heart of stone and put it in a heart of flesh. God loves you and wants to be passionately close to you in an intimate relationship. He wants you to be fired up for him. And if you're not there, then get yourself there. First of all, just tell him. Tell three people. Tell three people, I need to get fired up. I'm lukewarm. I don't want to be lukewarm. I got to change. Be faithful even to the point of death. Be faithful even to the point of death. Fill, In other words, fill up your faith. Be full of faith. Step out on faith. Go do some things that challenge you, scare you. I mean, we started out the first year having the five impossible prayers. Restart it. And I had a lot of people come up to me and tell me, this happened, this one happened, that one happened, number four happened, you know. And say, well, none of mine happened. Well, then go write a new list and start praying again. What if it takes 385 times to ask God? And he says, okay, on the 386th one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this one. But you quit at 300. No, 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 it's not. That's that's oversimplification. But, but what we really, really want, we need to let God know. If I want to be excited about my faith, excited about my church, excited about the future, I appreciate so much the buzz that's on Sunday mornings at the park. It's just there's an excitement there, and people are catching on. There's a spiritual revival that's beginning. We're just barely the beginning stages. In the metro region, climb on board. People get ready. There's a train coming. Don't need a ticket. Just get on board. Don't resist the Holy Spirit, what he's doing. Practice the rhythms of a faithful life. That's what the Spirit's saying to us. Now, let me be super practical. (laughs) Super practical. The Bible says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. That's what Paul said in St. Corinthians. What does this mean? How do you live all this stuff out? Well, it's daily time with God. Quiet times. Have them every day. Prayer and Bible study. Learning more and more about God. If your prayers are flat or your Bible study is flat, I got some great books for you to read that will help reignite it. 
or that will fire you up or that will catapult you forward. I love talking to Edgar. He's always reading something that he's super excited about. That's the way we should be. We should just be constantly learning new things about God and our faith. Is that not the most important thing in our lives? Our walk with God? We've got to treat it that way. Practicals. Confessing sin. Are you being open? Are you being honest about your life? Are you telling anybody what you're struggling with? Are you repenting regularly? If you're not being open and confessing, you're not repenting regularly for sure. Because we all have blind spots. We all have areas of our life that we don't see our sin. Unless we're close to somebody who loves us enough to help us see it. Unless we're close enough to somebody that we ask, what do you see in me? What do you think I need to change? What do you think I need to grow in? Attending gatherings of the fellowship consistently. You know, the the pandemic has thrown a huge wrench in all the workings of the church. And like I said at the very beginning, we're all being tested. Where's our conviction? Where is your conviction? Are you staying connected? Are you staying close? And a lot of us are. A lot of us are. A lot of us are, are, are we're, we're spending time with each other. We're talking, we're Zooming, we're, we're doing whatever, you know, to stay connected. But a lot of us are not. And some of us have just drifted away. And we're hanging on by a string. Strengthen yourself. Attending the regular, the gatherings, your Bible talk, your, your group, whatever, your circle of friends, somebody. I mean, there's a lot of groups out there. I, I so appreciate the mature women. The, there's a mother's group. There's the, you know, there's different groups that they're just, they're just making sure they're staying connected. They're making sure they're staying strong and they're keeping each other strong. If you don't have a group like that, then start one. Believe me, there's plenty of people looking, staying connected with key relationships. Staying connected to God, not just a quiet time. Quiet times that can be like a visit. More than that, walking with God. Find out what it means to pray unceasingly. Your Bible talk, your discipling partner, your prayer partners. A lot of us don't even have a discipling partner. Get one. Get somebody to help you. It doesn't have to be somebody over you. It can be a peer. Say, look, can we be prayer partners? You help me be a disciple and I'll help you be a disciple. I think a lot of us are in that boat, right? Tithing to the Lord, being generous with God, being giving to God, being responsible. And, you know, I mean, you probably all heard the stats where Jesus talked more about money than he did about faith. Why? Because it's it's a test of our heart. Are we giving? I think a number of people have slacked off on giving. Giving has gone down. Where's your faith? Where's your love? Where's your conviction? That's All of those things are shown in our giving. I mean, and this isn't about, you know me, I don't talk about money. I don't talk about giving a lot, but I do know that our giving reflects our hearts in many ways. I know that giving doesn't mean you're a zealous Christian, but an unzealous, a lukewarm Christian almost rarely, almost never gives or gives very little, or they give the minimum. Nowhere near tithing. Nowhere giving 10%, like what the Lord asked his people. Sharing Jesus outreach if, if if we're not excited about something we don't share it you know it was, it was awesome last week i had four or five different people send me comments on on the on text about the paella we cooked on sunday wow that would look really cool there people have nothing to do with the metro region and i was like how did you know i asked one brother who lives in the east coast how did you know because he he sent me a comment about the about the love feast we had on sunday and he goes, dude, it's all over Facebook. 
And I was like, isn't that funny? See, when we're excited about that, we share it. We just share it. Share Jesus. Well, I'm not that excited. Then get excited. He's awesome. Jesus is incredible. Read your Bible. Read the Gospels again. Download audio Bible. I think I think even Gateway Bible has a, 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 a downloadable, audible version of the Gospels. Listen to Jesus. I got some great books about Jesus that will just fire you up again about Jesus. Um, growing in the Lord. That you keep growing. You're, that Ask God, help me to grow in love or peace or joy or patience or kindness or self-control. All of these are what? Fruits of the Spirit, right? So as we grow in the Spirit, we will grow in these things. You can't set a goal and say, I'm going to be more loving. You can set a goal, I'm going to be connected to God and you will be more loving. Serving the community, each other. I mean, we have the community service team. I so appreciate that, what those brothers are putting together uh, every month to, to be able to go out and serve. And this isn't a checklist, all right? It isn't like, okay, I have to do this. To be a good Christian, I have to do this. But this is a snapshot of what does a healthy Christian look like? They're out there serving. They're out there giving. They're out there helping. They're rolling up their sleeves. Helping what? The kingdom of God, which is... Way more than the church, but the church is in the kingdom of God. That's part of it, of rolling up our sleeves and doing whatever we can to help the church shine, to serve our community, to use our skills and gifts, to serve the church, to help. There are a lot of needs. Man, you want something to do? Boy, I got a list of things. We'll put the list in the bulletin so everybody knows ways that we can roll up our sleeves and help make the church great. That vision statement, it is slowly becoming true slowly a long ways to go but slowly we're heading in that direction and the more people catch on the more we're becoming that maturing and bearing fruit becoming more like jesus and bearing lots of fruit because of it so i'm on overtime i gotta shut i gotta i gotta shut up i gotta stop this is not a checklist I don't want anybody to think, oh, so i got to check off all these things to be part of the metro region. No, but this is what it means to be part of God's church. This is what it looks like. Not a checklist. This is what it looks like. You want to know, what does it mean to be a disciple in the metro church? Here it is right there. This is what it means. What does it mean to be a member of the ICOC? Here's what it should mean. What does it mean to be part of God's kingdom? Here it is right here. You love God. You love each other. You serve. You shine. You do what you can. And you give your heart. And it all starts with that loving God, not a checklist, a way of life. So we'll close out with reminding us what he said. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. God bless you. And welcome you. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.